7. He did the first half, which is all about marriage. Uh, and I'm taking the second half, which is all about singleness. Uh, he said he didn't plan it that way. But as the young single youth pastor, we might, uh, we might have to have a conversation. Anyway, uh, between the marriage and singleness section, uh, there is a what I call the bridge passage. But it's really the basis, I think, for all of chapter 7. And Paul talks about contentment and let each man live to the season that God has called him to. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Little bit. Pastor Jeremiah talked about that too. Uh, but before we get any further, I want to pray one more time. God, we're just so thankful for your word um, and the ability to gather, worship you, and spend some time diving into your word. Um, God, I just pray that as we dive in this morning that you can um, clear our minds, remove distractions, open our hearts, um, and give us ears to hear what you have for us. God, let these words be yours, not mine. Um, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the opportunity to um, celebrate Christmas uh, and Jesus a little bit more this week, the last couple weeks. God, we're just so thankful for everything that the birth of Christ means for us. I mean, God, as we spend some time worshiping you today, just help us to leave this place changed, drawing nearer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 25, Paul writes, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by who the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Anybody else think it's weird that Paul started that with, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. Uh, but I give my judgment as one by who the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He has a couple statements like this in the chapter. Um, Pastor Jeremiah talked about a couple of them. First half, he's got a couple of them here in the second half. Um, one commentator said that it, it was Paul kind of giving his advice. Some, there are times throughout Paul's letters where he very clearly has a response from God. This is not one of those times. But he said, but I have a piece of advice for you. Here's my opinion. Um, and it's not to be taken as a commandment or a law, but as advice. Um, he's saying, and like he said, we talked about two weeks ago, he's dealing with specific issues that the Corinthian church was dealing with. So he says, in regard to this specific issue, uh, here's my response. And it's, advi it's advice, and it's good advice for your benefit. Um, but it wasn't a direct commandment from, the God to, from God to them about their specific issue. Uh, but he said, because, I, uh, because God has given me the knowledge, I'm trustworthy, you can listen to me. Um, but Paul starts by talking about a present distress. And if you remember back two weeks ago, it, by the way, I'm going to uh, reference back to Pastor Jeremiah's message. So if you missed it, um, go to our Vimeo page. It's on there, um, and you'll get all of my references. Um, but he was talking about why Paul was even responding to them about marriage and singleness and all of that. And like, I, like we said, specific issues, the Corinthian church that they were dealing with. So Paul reminds them that whether you're single or married, it's best to remain as you are. Uh, he says, if you're married, don't leave your spouse. And if you're single, don't seek a spouse. It's almost like he's kind of saying how singleness is much better than marriage. But that's not the case. We'll, we'll, get, we'll continue on. Um, he suggests that we remain where we are. He continues, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. 
This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want, to f- be free. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Here Paul's talking about our focus. If we're married, our focus is on our husband, wives, kids. If, our, if we're single, our focus is free to be on the Lord. Uh, Paul says that unmarried are anxious about how to please their spouse. Uh, and he repeatedly talks about our limited time. Time is short. Basically, life is short. Jesus is coming soon. Focus on your relationship with God. All right, that's the sermon. We're going to... No. He doesn't say this to stress us out. Um, he wants to promote good order and to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul wants you to have appropriate focus. We continue. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let him marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Here's Paul's affirming marriage. It's not a sin to be married. You guys are good. Uh, But he says if you want to get married, you can get married. It's not a sin. But he's encouraging singleness a little bit here. But pay attention to the last verse. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. It's not that marriage is bad or less spiritual, but it comes back to our focus. As a single guy, I don't have the responsibility of a wife or kids. All I got to do is make sure my 90-pound pit bull gets a little bit of food every day. I'm good. Show up to work on time, solid. I'm more free to focus on the things of God. So uh, I've been doing this speaking thing for um, six or seven years now. And I have a rule. My number one rule is don't speak on things you don't know anything about. Very seldom do I talk about marriage because I don't know anything about marriage. I, uh, so anytime I talk about marriage today, it's been vetted by all the other pastors because I don't know anything about it. Marriage is at the top of that list. Um, so however, just because you're married, with or without kids, um, Paul isn't giving you an excuse to focus less on God. This isn't like you get to say, oh, I'm married. I don't, get to fo- I don't have to focus as much on God as a single youth pastor. Nah, that's not an out. Sorry. Um, we're responsible primarily to focus on our personal, individual relationship with God, regardless of marital status, number of kids, etc. And then Paul transitions to a different type of singleness. Uh, He speaks to the widower, which is second on the list of things I don't know anything about. But he continues, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. 
Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40. Paul recommunicates what they already know about their law and traditions. If your spouse dies, you can remarry another believer. However, as he's done throughout this passage, he says she's happier if she remains as she is. It's all about focus. It's all about contentment. When Paul, uh, so some of you might be like, all right, Hunter, that's all fine and dandy, but I'm married. What do you got for me? Well, rule number one, try not to speak to things I don't know much about. But Paul says remain as you are. You aren't less spiritual than the single person because of what Paul says are worldly troubles. You aren't in a worse off position because you are married. Uh, it just means that it's going to take a little bit more effort for you to focus on your relationship with God. Uh, because you have, let's be honest, you have way more responsibility than I do. But let's talk about contentment for a second. Contentment is not happiness. Oftentimes we think that if we're happy, we're content. And if we're content, that means we're happy. Not the case. Contentment is satisfaction. So in our context, in the church world, contentment is about satisfaction in our relationship with God. Contentment's less about our circumstances and more about our heart attitude. So Paul's telling us that our most important relationship is with God, wherever God has us, regardless of marital status, relationship status, or season of life. Whether you're single or married, your primary responsibility, your first job, is your personal relationship with God. Not your spouse or their relationship with God. Not your kids or their relationship with God. Your primary responsibility is your relationship with God. And you influence those closest to you. So how you treat your responsibility with God is how your wife is going to treat hers, is how your kids will treat theirs, etc., etc., um, so another thing I don't know anything about is being a parent. That's number three on the list. Uh, so I don't have to, but what I do know is that my parents aren't going to have to answer for my decisions that I make. I'm an adult, own my own house. I put my big boy pants on this morning, my nice suit jacket thing, whatever, is it blazer? I don't know, we'll figure it out. Taylor, tell me afterwards. They are not responsible for my spiritual relationship with God. And my mom is not responsible for my dad's faith. And vice versa, my dad is not responsible for my mom's faith. My mom's not going to get to the pearly gates and uh, have to answer for the decisions my dad made. That's not how it works. But she for sure is going to have to answer for the decisions she makes. Each of us are responsible for our own relationship with God. So i got a few questions. Are you content with your relationship with God? Are you satisfied? If contentment is satisfied... Are you satisfied with your relationship with God? All right, both, both of those are kind of maybe, maybe easy yeses. But is the most important relationship in your life your relationship with God? Paul says it needs to be. So I took some English classes when I was in middle school and high school. Skip the ones in elementary school. Those aren't that important. No. But the opposites, right? So if contentment means satisfied, what does discontentment mean? Not satisfied. All right, you guys aren't first graders, you knew that. Dang. So what has your heart discontent this morning? Is it your job? 
your paycheck, your spouse, maybe your kids, your parents, lots of family time around the holidays, your siblings. Is it your relationship status? You're struggling with where you're at, what season God has you in? Is it the election? Woo. Hunter, you can't say that. It's over. Is it? We, sorry, that was, shouldn't have said that. My bad. Um, oh, man, I cracked myself up. We think that if the thing that has us discontent changes, then we'll be free to focus on whatever matters. Uh, not the case. That's the greener pastures idea, right? Grass is always greener on the other side. Well, how many of you have ever heard, the grass is greenest where you water it? I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with God. God, I'll read my Bible more, but I don't really have much time right now. Or God, I'd love to be in church or help in that uh, local nonprofit or dot, 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 but I just don't have the time. Well, folks, 2020 gave us a whole lot of extra time this year to think and focus and dive into what God has for us more than any other year I can remember. How'd you do? How'd you spend your time? Where's your focus been on the last eight months, 12 months? Has it been on COVID nonsense? Has it been on political nonsense, social media nonsense, family stuff? Or has it been on your relationship with God? If you lost the thing that has your focus, would God be enough for you? I once heard a pastor talking about Job, and he said to the audience, if you lost your job, your spouse, your children, and your house, would your relationship with God be enough for you to go on, to continue with your life? Well, I didn't have a job, a wife, children, and I was living with my parents. So at the time, I was good. But now that's a tough question. Now I have a house. So in that bridge passage, we said that verses 17 to 24, I think, are the basis for Paul's um, writing chapter 7 here. Uh, it says, verses 17 says, each or only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned them and to which God has called them. This is why I'm not a big fan of bugging people about their job, relationship status, and, and other life circumstances. Uh, because you don't know what God has called someone to. Uh, so instead of pushing somebody to change their circumstances, encourage them to work on their relationship with God. The biggest difference, or sorry, there's a big difference between encouraging someone to grow toward God and allowing Him to change their heart than encouraging someone to get a different job, enter in and out of a relationship, etc. If we point people toward God, he, he is like the expert mess cleaner-upper. I got those magic eraser things, gets anything out. God is way better at cleaning stuff up than one of those magic eraser things. And discipleship says, as we go through life with somebody, we point them toward God and we walk with them through whatever they're going. More importantly than looking at other people's lives, are you confident that you're living the life God has called you to? It's really easy to say, yeah, that's a really bad relationship. Or, oh, are you sure you really want to work at that place? It's easy to give somebody a job application or a relationship advice, but it's a lot harder to look at yourself and say, ooh, I'm not quite, I haven't been in church very much. Or I haven't read my Bible in 
six years. Uh, are you confident? Remember, we said your primary responsibility is your relationship with God, not anybody else's. Are you confident that God has you where he has you and you are living the life to which he's called you? And an important note, God isn't going to call you into sin. He is not going to say, oh, yeah, you can do this. So if you're engaging in a sinful lifestyle, you aren't living the life God has called you. If you are in a sinful relationship, you are not living the life that the Lord has assigned you. Don't use this passage, oh, Hunter, you said I, I can do what God has called me to. I feel like because I like this person or because we've been together for so long or this job's great because I get a lot of money. Don't use this passage to justify your sinful behavior. So can I let you in on something? I know a lot of you, but a lot of you don't know me. A little personal fact about Hunter. When I was, uh, from the time I was about 16 years old to about two or three years ago, do the math, it's roughly 23, 24, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I looked, I was a discontented single person. I looked at singleness as a means to an end. Eventually I'd get married, I just got to get through this singleness thing. Uh, I just have to find the right person, and I just have to get the right job. I just have to buy a house, because when I was living in my parents' basement, the last thing I wanted to do was bring a girl home. I just have to join the right church. Singleness was a season to end. I just had to wait for my circumstances to change. And, I, and the, the whole time, I'd say I was content. Yeah, I'm content. All the while, I was needing to be talking to, talking to a girl or seeking a relationship. That's not contentment. That's literally the definition of discontentment. See, contentment says, I'm single. God, what do you have for me right now? Discontentment says, I'm single. Who else around me is single? And what color flowers are we having at our wedding? <laughs> I care very little about the flowers I have at my wedding. Um, contentment says, God, I'm not happy but I'm here, what do you have for me? Discontentment says, God, I'm not happy, change my circumstances. See, a few years ago I realized, oh, sorry, contentment isn't settling. Like, so many singles think like, oh, you gotta, you're content, uh, you're just settling. Or some, like, married people look at me and say, oh, you're, you're content? That means you're not happy and you have given up. No, contentment isn't settling, it's seeking. Contentment whether it's in the relationship context, in the job context, whatever. Contentment is seeking what God has for you in every season of life, regardless of your feelings. So a few years ago, I realized something. If I am hyper-focused on finding a wife, and I'm more focused on that than I am on my relationship with God, I will never be satisfied. And that same thing goes if, if you're so focused on your wife, your kids, your job, the deer that showed up on your trail cam. If you're so focused on that, and more so than you are on your relationship with God, you will never be satisfied. If you're focused on anything more than God, they say if anything's really important, you got to say it three times, you will never be satisfied. God first, everything else second. So the biggest lie about contentment is that there is a, or sorry, the biggest lie 
about discontentment is uh, there's an end outside of God. I just need more of that. I just need more money. I just need more friends. I just need more whatever. No, you need more God. You need more of Jesus. You need more grace. Um, and once I realized that I'll never be satisfied unless I'm focused on God, it actually changed how I viewed the world. And it changed how I viewed and understood Scripture. Uh, Christmas time, we were talking about, it was like sibling Christmas on Christmas Eve. We were talking about, like I, actually I was talking about my message. And I, so I asked him, I'm like, what is the most known Bible verse in the world? And I said, oh, it's probably John 3.16. And my mom said something about Ezekiel. And I'm like, well, I don't know, whatever. Uh, and I said the most misquoted or misinterpreted is probably what? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to run through that wall because Christ will give. No. As we read it, it says, not that Paul's writing. Again, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When God is our source of contentment, our source of value, nothing else matters. We can be poor, rich, single, married, hungry, full. How many of you have been full lately? <sighs> yep. If we have God, we have all that we need. Do you believe that this morning? If we can't live without something or someone, we've got an idol. And the Bible says a whole lot about idols. Hunter, I get it, but I'm single and I'm not happy. Been there. A little bit of hard truth for you this morning is you have a little bit of a heart problem. In my simple yet difficult solution, intentionally spend time diving into God's Word. I don't care if you're 19 and just out of high school and you're a discontented single or you're 45, a widower, a divorcee, whatever, and you're a discontented single intentionally spend time diving into God's Word and get more involved in the church. Start attending a di discipleship community. Find ways to plug in and serve. Find a mentor. Find somebody that can pour into you during this difficult season. Don't just attend church. Be the church. I know, it's a typical church answer. I'm a youth pastor. It's one of my favorites. Jesus, pray and read your Bible. But take it a step further. Find a community and get involved in that community. Show up at it, whether it be a discipleship community, a small group, somewhere you're serving. Get plugged into that community. Find somebody that can pour into you and keep you accountable. Oh, I have a really hard time reading my Bible. Well, tell somebody and have them text you every morning at 7 a.m. or 5 a.m. or all right, I'm 9 a.m. <laughs> Find somebody to help keep you accountable and keep you walking toward God. Figure out why God has you in this season. If you're miserable right now, uh, God has you there for a reason. Figure out why. Don't just look ahead to the next season. I just want to hit the fast forward button. Well, that's not how it works. Usually when I was at my most discontent, depressed, and anxious about my singleness was when I was the least connected to God. When I was most miserable, I was furthest from God. I wasn't reading my Bible. I was going to church, but I wasn't really listening or paying attention. I, and I was only 
engaging in shopping list prayers. You ever done those ones? All right, God, this, today I need this, this, that, and, uh, and then I need that person to leave me alone. Uh, all the time. Shopping list prayers. See, discontent and spiritual discipline don't go together. If you have one, it's very difficult to have the other. If you're discontent, it's very difficult to have a super rock-solid spiritual discipline life. And vice versa. It took me years to get here, by the way. Like I said, I'm only, I've only been in this, like, uber-content season of life for a few years now. Um, and, like, so if you're there, if you're discontented and you're single, that's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. See, here's the thing. If you're not, discon- or if you're not content with your singleness, chances are you're not ready for a relationship. If God isn't enough for you right now, that's not going to change with a significant other. You're trying to fill a massive God-sized hole with an imperfect creation of God. That math doesn't add up. I'm not a math teacher, but I know a guy who is. If you are trying to find a single person, their special someone, I would rethink that. Just pump the brakes a little bit. Because the last thing a single person struggling with discontent needs is somebody pushing them into a relationship. You're trying to help. I get it. I'm a single guy. I get people come up to me. Oh, you know this person? I get it. But you actually feed that discontentment. That person doesn't need a boyfriend or girlfriend. They need Jesus and more of him. And you could, you could be pulling their focus. Like we said, let each man live the season God's called him to. You could be pulling their focus from that, what does God have for me in this season? Here's the thing. When you repeatedly bring up somebody, this is just like 2020 singleness. When you repeatedly bring up somebody's relationship status uh, or suggest single people for them to talk to or ask them, hey, why are you still single? It sort of implies that they're incomplete until they find their better half. Remember, Paul says singleness is ideal to fully focus on God. So we've been talking about discipleship for how long? Like, ever? Um, Instead of trying to help end that person's season of singleness, help them figure out what God has for them in that season. If you think two people would be good together, maybe instead of playing matchmaker, pray that if that's supposed to happen, God will bring them together. Because I'm not going on any blind dates. (laughs) See, have that person, that single person over for dinner. Get to know their story. Learn their strengths, their weaknesses. Do life with them. Disciple them. There is so much potential for discipleship between married men and single men, married women and single women, that I don't think we're capitalizing on as the church. Singleness is not a sickness to be cured. It's a season to be walked through with God's leading. Is God calling you to walk with somebody through life, whether it be a single or not? It could be a teenager. It could be one of your kids. It could be a niece, a nephew, whatever, a brother, a sister. Walk with them. If you're single and discontent, run after Jesus. Plug into the church. Develop a community. Spend some time this week really asking God to show you what he has for you in this season of life. Don't just say, yeah, I'm content. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm good. Like, seek God's face 
before you ever seek his hand. Which means like, worship him and then don't just do shopping list prayers. Um, instead of focusing on someone's singleness or their relationship status, focus on their faith. Because that's far more important than them getting hitched. How are they doing with Christ? How can you encourage them to walk along with Christ? See, 1 Corinthians 7 starts with marriage. Then there's this basis for life, really. Contentment, focus, lead the life God has called you. So whatever season of life you're in, single, married, widowed, don't worry about what anyone else thinks, does, but God. Because that's the most important. And if you're not seeking God, like I said, you got to shape that up. Because that is the most important relationship in your life. Uh, so what have you done to seek God in the season of life you're in? Because it's easy to complain and mope about our circumstances, but the only way to get true satisfaction is through repenting and leaning in God where you are, where he has you right now, and asking God, what do you have for me today? Let's pray. God, life is messy and difficult, and, but Paul says you have seasons of life for us to go through. You've led us here. But God, if we've made some decisions and we've gotten off of the path that you've led us, God, just uh, refocus our hearts. Redirect our path, God. If that's through another follower of Christ, God, help us to just dive into community. If that's through spending more time in your word, God, give us the desire to do so. Paul has called us to make our relationship with you the most important relationship in our life. And God, if that's not the case for any of us, I pray you change our hearts. Help us leave this place more focused on you than ever and willing to make the changes necessary to focus on you. Help us to remain where we are seeking your will for our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.